Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Uh, today, our guest is Neil Bawa. Thanks for being on the show, Neil. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Whitney. And Neil is the founder of Grow Capitus. Uh, he's, his current portfolio is over $110 million worth under his control with uh, 1500 over 1,500 units. Um, Neil, give us a little background about yourself and your business and how, why real estate syndication. Well, I'm, I'm kind of the atypical guy, you know, when, when you think about people that come to your show, Whitney, because I am not a real estate royalty guy. I haven't, you know, flipped 100 homes. I haven't done 1,000 loans. I'm a technologist, and I've had a full technology career, computer science graduate, software engineer. And so I've, I've basically done that whole arc, worked in a company that I had stock in. I've had a successful exit, and, and the, I really learned multifamily to invest my own money. So here's a passive syndicator that basically invested with 13 different syndicators a long time ago and then basically started learning the ropes from them. And what I discovered, Whitney, was that all of them had some skills, but not all of them. And so they were reliant on the things that they did best. Maybe some bought well, some sold well, some rehabbed well, some marketed well, but they didn't have all of the skill sets. But because I was a passive investor with them and I offered some of my uh, marketing services for free. I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I'm an expert at internet marketing. Many of them kind of, um, you know, allowed me to see what was under the kimono and learn more from them. And that's really where I started getting my skills. And then I realized that all of this new stuff that I was learning from 10 different syndicators, I would forget if I didn't quickly start teaching it to other people. And so I launched a meetup group here in the San Francisco Bay Area. My goal was to get to 250 people. And today it's the largest apartment uh, meetup group in the country. I have over 4,000 members. And it started off with my desire to just teach so that I wouldn't forget. And then the ball just kept rolling and investors kept coming in. And so I'm very excited to hit the $100 million mark and, and now have reset my goals to $250 million. Very nice. Very nice goals too. And congratulations on the 4,000 members. That's, that's impressive. Thank you. So, you know, so you had invested passively with these, with these other sponsors or syndicators and and then you decided, okay, I can do this. I can figure this out. I'm going to grow my own business. Yeah. And and there were a lot of reasons for that. You know, first thing that I noticed was that these were fat cats. They were rich, they were smart, they knew what they were doing, but the usage of technology was abysmal, right? So when you look at on a scale of 10, a lot of these companies were two or three. These are people that haven't heard of basic marketing tools, let alone, you know, advanced internet marketing tools that we had used. I mean, right now my company uses nine different internet marketing tools. They're all subscriptions, including the one that we're using right now, Zoom. And and I'm adding on another four products because I'm finding that I'm still a little bit shallow on this. And I could see that these companies were not taking advantage of that either to find investors or to find tenants. It was just abysmal when it came to technology. And I realized that a geek like me could come in and and you know quickly create a niche and find my way to investors that were not being served. The message was not being transferred to either the investors or the tenants. 
And um, and that really that has been my niche, come in and disrupt with technology, with demographics. So let's get into the technology a little bit and, you know, kind of give us, I guess, start us on that road on how we can start to use technology in our own in our own businesses. And, you know, what part of our business should we start to focus on? Well, if you're a syndicator, in my mind, it all has to start with you really doing every syndicator says, right, we, we look at cities, we look at neighborhoods, you know, we're we're targeting, we're trying to make sure that it's the right, you know, places that we're investing in. But what I'm finding is other than a few, uh, you know, few exceptions, not enough people are spending enough time on demographics. Not enough people have a way to tell me today. Right now, if I were to ask 10 syndicators in a line and say, what are the specifics of how you're picking your cities? What are the specifics of how you're picking your neighborhood? Well, the answers that I get are really shallow. So my message to all of you syndicators out there is you need to do a better job on the demographic side. The numbers all need to be in your head. Right. So right now you need to know every city in the U.S. and what the rent growth is, at least the top five in your mind. Right. So I know right now the number number one city in the U.S. in terms of rent growth is Orlando. Number two is Vegas. I have those numbers burned into my head. But before you go to rent growth, rent growth is important because it's the end goal. You need to look at why someone should pick Vegas, why someone should pick Orlando or Atlanta. And. People talk about populations, right? But what you really should be talking about is specifics on population. What kind of population growth do you need? I'm, when I'm teaching my multifamily bootcamp, I tell students, if the city is under in between half a million and a million people, then in the last 15 years, you want that population to have grown by 20%. And so a good example of that is Columbus. Cities like um, Orlando are ahead, but Columbus is a great example. It's grown by 21% in population in the last 16 years. And where do, that, where do I get that data from? Just Google. I Google, you know, population growth Columbus. That is a first indicator. The second indicator is income. How much income level do you want to grow? In the last 15 years, I want the income to grow by 30%. And that's median household income, not individual income. So every city that I'm looking at, I want that 30% number to be there. Does Columbus match it? Yes. Does Orlando match it? Yes, it crushes it, right? Las Vegas, not quite there on the income, but good on the other numbers. And then the third number that I look at is home price growth. I know we're in multifamily, but there is no doubt that there is a very direct correlation between home price increases and rent increases, right? It's massive because at some point people are just not able to buy homes and they start to move over on, onto the renter side. And so I want to see a 40% increase in home prices in the last 15 years. And there's a lot of cities in the U.S. that are not even close to that 40% level. And then there's cities like Orlando that have doubled home prices in the last 15 or 16 years. So the 20, 30, 40 rule is what I'm looking at when I'm looking at cities. 20% growth in population, 30% growth in median household income, 40% growth in median house and condo value. For the first metrics, I use Google. For the second and the third metric, I use a a website called city-data.com. And it gives me those three metrics. And that tells me what cities to look at. And then after that, I drill down into the neighborhoods. I I get into the demographics of the neighborhoods. And those are actually straightforward. It's three or four different demographics. Number one is you want the the income level in that neighborhood, in the area that you're looking in, to be in the $40,000 to $70,000 range. That's the Goldilocks zone. 
Anything lower than that, you're going to have massive delinquency You're not and, and tremendous churn. Anything higher than 70K, you'll start having issues with cash flow. You're not going to be able to give your invest, investors 7 pref or 8 pref because you just are not hitting that cash flow level. So the Goldilocks zone for your neighborhood and your zip code really has to be that 40 to 70K. And poverty levels in that zip code or in that submarket have to be no more than 10%. I see a lot of people today buying in what they think are class C's, but I think I see that they're buying in areas where poverty levels are 25 or 30 or even 35%. They really don't know what they're doing because they will never hit their projected numbers because of churn, because of delinquency, because of eviction levels, because of you know late payment. They'll spend all of their time trying to gather that, you know, that GSR that they've projected and then won't actually get to it. So to me, those two numbers are absolutely critical. And the third number is unemployment. And that unemployment should be right around the city average. You can find the unemployment level for any city in the US by just Googling it and saying unemployment space Orlando, Florida. It'll give you that number. And you want that neighborhood to be at that same level in terms of unemployment. You can find neighborhood level information for any neighborhood in the map on city-data.com. So you can go to the map, pull up your city, click on any neighborhood within that city and a map pops up to the right and gives you these three metrics for neighborhoods. So I think that that's where we start as technologists. We start with the three city city metrics and the three neighborhood metrics and it tells us whether we are investing in the right markets or not. And I think it, it really has to be this crisp. Nice. That's a great explanation and telling us exactly where to find it also. You know, is there a way to or that you have found to automate that, you know, so you're not having to look that up, you know, or how often should we be looking up those specific things, you know, so we're keeping our sheets accurate, you know, so we, we're up to date. So I found some ways to automate it, our underwriting template. So my students get an underwriting template. It does automate it. So if you enter in a property's information, it actually pulls all of that information and fills out the chart for it. So there's various ways to automate it. But in my mind, you don't really have to go that far because what I just gave you should take no less, no more than 10 minutes when you're doing the underwrite. To be honest, a full underwrite of a property is going to take you 30, 50, 60 times as much time. And so you owe it to yourself to spend the first 10 minutes to look at the demographics of that property and that zip code. If, it's, if this is taking you more than 10 minutes, something is really, really wrong. Typically, the demographics of a neighborhood do not change more than once in a year. So if you pull that neighborhood already, you don't need to pull it for at least another year. I found that even over two years, neighborhoods don't change. The only exception might be Amazon plonks a a $5 billion headquarter in that neighborhood. So something like that happens, everything changes. But other than that, neighborhoods don't change over a one to two year time frame. So you don't need to do it constantly. But hey, every time you're underwriting a property and you're about to pay 10 or 20 million bucks for a property, you owe it to yourself to spend these 10 minutes. Any other technology that helps you really dig deeper on the demographics? Um, there's a, a number of sites that I like. The one that I pay for that is very interesting to me, it's not free, is Neighborhood Scout. So I have the $99 a month uh, membership for Neighborhood Scout because for our clients, we, we, we have both syndication clients because we're buying 20, $30 million properties. And then we have individual affluent clients that are buying their own multifamily. And we're, we're, we're doing what is known as an apartment buying service where we're helping them buy their own property. And for both of those services, we pull the neighborhood scout report for a neighborhood. 
Neighborhood Scout's very different from city level tools. It really focuses down on the specifics of the area that you're in and gives you dozens and dozens of different indicators. What I like about Neighborhood Scout is that it actually tries to interpret the indicators for you. It gives you warning signs. It gives you thumbs up. It tells you if you know a particular neighborhood has a racial mix that's not perfect, or a particular neighborhood has very low levels of education, or a particular neighborhood has very low walkability score. So it's giving you thumbs up, thumbs down, and kind of you know presenting the results to you in an easy to read fashion. So at a you know for most people would probably not buy a hundred dollar a month membership like I do, but for forty nine bucks a month you get ten reports. That's ten times you could be saving yourself from making a catastrophic mistake. Uh, on behalf of your investors. So Neighborhood Scout, very highly recommended. And how specific is it to the, I mean, how narrowed down is it to the neighborhood? Is it, uh, you know, a pretty broad area or is it, can it be real specific? So it, it actually varies because what they're trying to do is they're trying to define a neighborhood and they're trying to define it by looking at the various buildings in the neighborhood and seeing which ones match. So in Neighborhood Scout, I've seen areas that are only like 300 yards by 300 yards as the neighborhood. And then I've seen areas that are up to like a mile by a mile, but it's never, it's rarely bigger than a mile by mile. So in my mind, it is very granular. It is down to a very granular level. At a city level, there are two other tools that I suggest that I pay for. And both of the tools are excellent. You wouldn't want to buy both of them, but one or the other is fine. That's not at a granular level. Neighborhood Scout, extremely granular, but at a city level, you can either buy Local Market Monitor, my friend Ingo Windsor runs Local Market Monitor, LMM powers all of these Forbes articles that come out on the web about best cities, best neighborhoods, overpriced cities. All of that is powered by Local Market Monitor's database. And then um, there is a uh, another website called Housing Alerts. And Housing Alerts gives you information on, you know, on housing. Now keep in mind, both of these are single family websites, but a huge percentage of the insights that you're looking for, demographics information, job information, industry information, you know, you, you don't want to go into an area where 60% of the people are working in healthcare or 60% of the people are working in an army base. All of that information is being provided to you. Both of those tools are under a thousand dollars, if I remember correctly, for an for a national subscription. And if you're looking for a state subscription or a set of states, you're paying a few hundred dollars. I, the message that I have for people is this is money worth spending. You're a syndicator. You're in what is known as a pay for performance business. If you don't perform, you are going to make less than somebody working at Walmart at eight bucks an hour. In fact, you're going to make precisely zero dollars an hour. So upfront, these small expenses, these small expenditures to get yourself the right data is going to make a, or save a huge amount of money for you and a huge amount of stress for, for you and your investors down the line. It totally makes sense to buy the data. Obviously, if you have the money, buy CoStar and it'll give you a good percentage of this data. But you know what's interesting? I pay for CoStar subscriptions, you know, 20 plus thousand dollars. I still pay for local market monitor and housing alerts because the data is presented in a different fashion and the the kind of aha moments that I get from local market monitor are actually very different from the aha moments that I get from CoStar because CoStar is an all-in-one tool, whereas these tools, Neighborhood Scout, CD Data, and, and um, local market monitor are all specific, right? So it's, it's almost like they're not general purpose tool. They're focused on one area and they do that better than CoStar. Nice. I really appreciate you explaining that. 
And I want to ask you, before we get too far into our time or out of time, I want to ask you a little bit about the syndication business specifically. And, uh, you know, can you can you tell us, um, I guess, you know, what would you tell yourself now that you, you've gained this experience, you've gained this many units, you've you've done this much work in the business? What would you tell yourself if you could look back, you know, 20 years as far as investing in real estate? Now, I have to tell you, it hasn't been 20 years. It hasn't even been a decade for me so far. But I think that the the messages that I would give sent to myself if I could send them to you know a ten year younger Neil, one is don't skimp on the infrastructure. Putting the operations, the infrastructure, the process in place is critical. I've made a lot of mistakes when it comes to having insufficient staff, whether it was operation staff or process staff. I've made mistakes where I haven't put the necessary processes in place. So I would go audit my property manager and have him fix something. And then I wouldn't have somebody continuing those audits. So when I came back to it six months later, it was broken again, and that would fix it and come back six months later, it would be broken again. So I think that the, I cannot overstate the importance of putting processes in place so that if you're hit by a bus and that, that can be used as an example, if you're hit by a bus, the business continues to run. The second piece of it is, in my mind, anyone who thinks that the syndication business is about finding a good property, doing a good underwriting job, and then hiring a good property manager is missing it. Asset management or active asset management that happens every single week for five years or seven years is absolutely key. And what I'm finding is that not enough people are focusing on the asset management because it's not sexy. It doesn't sell blogs. It doesn't sell podcasts. And because of that, there's this focus on, oh yeah, do all of these things, buy this building, hire this property manager, and then watch the checks roll in. The answer is all of that is correct for the LP, for the passive investor. It is not correct for you as the syndicator. So that's the message I wanna send myself, that you're going to be actively managing every property for five years. You might as well establish the operational benchmarks you might as well in fact establish the, the processes and then it becomes a lot smoother for you. And yes, technology plays a role in that as well. And we, we're, we're working on our technological platform to make sure that we're managing correctly. But a lot of people just pay no attention to that. Three months after they bought a property, I'm looking at their time and in a, in a, in a, in a week's calendar, I can't get them to point out to me where their asset management time is. They're now spending all of their time underwriting their next property, or raising money or doing some, some such activity. But other than that one weekly call with the property manager, I don't see any time spent managing the asset. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Um, I think in my case, it has been simply that I'm data-driven. I'm a geek and I'm proud of it. You know, one of the things that I like to say, Whitney, is I don't believe that the meek shall inherit the earth. I believe it's going to be the geek. And, and, you know, I, and I'm very, part, very much a part of that mindset. And I think that what I've noticed, and I've been, I've benchmarked my success and more importantly, my failures, it has always been tied to what you cannot measure, you cannot manage. And so to me, my success is tied to what I can measure. And my failures, unfortunately, many of them have also been tied to the fact that I wasn't really measuring. I was giving lip service. I was telling my investors about it. I wasn't actually doing it. And that's when I failed. And so my, my goal going forward is to continuously be measuring performance 
And, and that's what makes you successful. I just don't think that enough people do it. I really like that. You said what you cannot measure, you, you cannot what, say it again. You, if you cannot measure, you cannot manage. If you cannot measure, you cannot manage. I, t- I tell my team, if it's not written down, we can't improve it. Yep, yep. I think th- those kinds of processes are, are key. And these days, though, I, we've taken a technological leap there, right? So before we'd write SOPs, standard operating procedures, and pages and pages of stuff with screenshots on them, things like that. Now we've evolved that to the point where we use a tool called Camtasia. You can also use a cheaper tool called Snagit. And what that means is basically we it's, it records our screen, right? So right now, if I'm talking, it's recording my video and my audio, and it's also recording the screen. And it allows me to, to show people what I really want and walk them through that process where in 10 minutes I can do get much, much deeper than I ever could with writing SOPs. So to me, what we've now moved to is we, we record it over, let's say, a 10-minute time frame, and it gets very in-depth. And then we send that to a virtual assistant who then converts it into a standard operating procedure. So we're saving a tremendous amount of our time and getting a much more depth into each one of our SOPs. So user technology is phenomenal. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Neil, for being on the show. You've been a great guest. Will you tell the listeners how they can learn more about you? Absolutely. My philosophy and all of the webinars that I teach are at a website called multifamilyu.com. That's multifamilyu, the, the word, the letter U. You've got webinars about real estate trends. I have a toolkit with over 100 items, multifamily reports, reports about the affordability crisis in the U.S., reports about trends, rankings of over 80 cities. I've actually one by one ranked over 80 cities in the U.S. for investment. All of those tools are at multifamilyu.com, so that's the best place to engage with me. I teach about 50 webinars a year through that website. Nice. Thank you so much for providing value to so many people in the business. And, uh, um, you know, appreciate the listeners being with us today, and we will talk to each of you tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Whitney. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.